Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, let me encourage you to find Acts chapter number 19. Acts chapter number 19. If you're our guest today, we are delighted you're with us. I bring my welcome to you. We have been going through the uh, wonderful book of Acts. And in looking at this passage of Scripture today, we see that it falls right in line with what we've been studying in relationship to living with biblical clarity. Uh, That's kind of the theme that I've kind of mapped out throughout the wonderful book of Acts. And today, I want to preach a sermon entitled, The Identifying Mark of a Biblical Christian. The Identifying Mark of a Biblical Christian. When you hear the word Christian today, you know that that in our culture has just uh, encapsulated a lot of different types of people that believe a lot of different types of things. Uh, What I'm saying to you today is there is such a thing as a counterfeit Christian. And in relationship to counterfeits, we associate in our minds, when we think about counterfeits, we think about money. We think about those that counterfeit money. I read a story this week of a man in uh, Pittsburgh who was on hard times and really wanted to try to help his family out financially, but he did it in the wrong way. He wanted to become a counterfeit bill maker, except the only thing, Buzzard, is he didn't want to make $1 counterfeit money bills, or even $5, or $20, or $10, or even $100. He wanted to make one bill and be set for life. He thought if he could counterfeit a $1 million bill, then he would be okay. This is a true story. The only problem with that is there's no such thing as a million-dollar bill. But he made one anyway. And he took it down of all places to the local supermarket. And he bought a Coke and a Moon Pie. They rang it up and said, that'll be $3.50. And he said, "Uh, you got change for this? And he whipped out that $1 million bill. Obviously, the cashier looked at it, looked at the guy, and looked at the bill again, and immediately went and got his supervisor, to which the supervisor took the bill, called the police. Next thing you know, the man is going to jail. All because of a counterfeit bill. When it comes to the law, if you make a counterfeit bill and you're caught with a counterfeit bill, you go to jail. But don't you listen to me very closely. For counterfeit Christians... If you use counterfeit Christianity in your life, you will not go to jail, you'll go to hell. We must be absolutely sure that we possess the identifying mark of a biblical Christian. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There is a definite article in the the form of Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the life. He is the truth. Nobody will come to God unless they come through Jesus Christ. 
Yet we've got a society today and a culture, especially a religious culture that exists today, saying that there are many ways to get to God. There's many ways to get to heaven. There's many ways uh, for you to have this utopia and eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I've got news for you. We're not going to utopia. We're going to heaven because we have Jesus Christ in our hearts. Paul, as he is making his journey on his third missionary trip, is going to be keeping a promise that he made to the church at Ephesus. And this promise that he said is that he would be back if the Lord wills it. And in chapter number 19, we see that he keeps the promise that he's made to those that are in Ephesus. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 1, uh, excuse me, in chapter 19, in verse number 1. The Bible says this, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they answered and said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now there were about twelve in all. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word this morning. When you look at the context to which we are reading today, you find that there is a, such a thing as a counterfeit Christian. As a matter of fact, when you look in this passage of Scripture, you see how Luke kind of lays this passage out. And we find that in verse number 1, we're introduced to this narrative, and the introduction that Luke gives us is that as Paul is going into Ephesus, the upper region there, and he came to Ephesus, notice verse number 1 by way of introduction, and finding some disciples... If you mark in your Bible, which I challenge you to do, I would underline, put a highlight, put an asterisk by this, because this is a very fascinating phrase, finding certain disciples. D.G. Dunn, who wrote Baptism in the Holy Spirit, notes that this is the only time in the book of Acts that the word disciple occurs without a definite article in front of it. It uses the word certain instead of the. And he argues that it's Luke's way of distinguishing them from being Christians. In the following verses, we see two questions from Paul that help us understand the identifying marks of a biblical Christian. In fact, we can break this text down into two primary points that I'd like for you to see this morning. Point number one. Point number one is found in verses 1 through 4, and we see here an analysis of two questions. An analysis of two questions. When Paul noted that there were certain disciples, they weren't the disciples, they weren't disciples of Jesus Christ, they were a certain disciple of something else. Paul begins to ask them two very important questions that we, as born-again children of God, need to make sure we can answer today as well. Notice the first question. Question number one, in verse number two, Paul says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. And the answer came back from them. 
We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. When you read that passage of Scripture, you see, quite frankly, that these disciples are lacking the true identifying mark of a biblical Christian. The reception of the Holy Spirit is what's needed and what is given to us at the moment of conversion. Only those who have received the Holy Spirit are true biblical Christians. This doctrine is known as pneumatology. The term pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. So you see, when Paul asked these questions, there were actually four things he was looking for and wanted to hear back from these disciples, these, quote, certain disciples that he did not hear. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you at conversion, there are four things that happen that should have happened to these individuals but did not. What are the four things that happen when someone gets saved? Number one, the first one is, is that you are born again by the Spirit of God. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in God, uh, then you receive, if you would, or you're born again by the Spirit of, of God. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered and said this, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches that if you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you will die once. That's a very interesting concept the Scripture teaches, and, and, and we must think about that just for a minute. What are you saying? When, if the Bible says that if we are born once, we will die twice. That is to say that there will be a physical death at some time in your life. But because you have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, because you have not been born of spirit, you will die before God spiritually and you will be separated from Him forever in a place called hell. So if you are born once, you die twice. But if you are born twice, you will die once. The Bible again tells us that Jesus said, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. That is, born of water, a physical birth, and born of the Spirit, a spiritual birth, then by all means you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Could I ask you a question? Many of us know very quickly our birth date. But let me ask you this. When were you born again? When did you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? There are some that I found on my Christian journey that say, Pastor, I know my birthday. I know when I was born. February 7th, 1974. I know it. I got a birth certificate. It tells me I was born on that day. But I'm not sure when or if I ever was born again. Now listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying that you have got to have a spiritual birth certificate with a date on it that says when you received Jesus Christ. But you ought to be able to remember the event when you prayed to receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. 
It doesn't have to be so specific as mine. I remember the exact date. I remember March 22nd, 1988, 14-year-old boy sitting at White's Chapel Baptist Church, heard the man of God preach the Word of God. I struggled from the very beginning all the way to the end. And when the invitation came, the Holy Spirit was upon me so heavy that I could not. I, rem- I had a death grip on the seat in front of me during the invitation. I did not want to leave because the Spirit of God was on me on me so heavily that I knew that if I died that day, I'd split hell wide open. Finally, I surrendered to the call of God upon my life for salvation. I turned loose of that pew in front of me. And by the way, if you want to get saved, you just got to turn loose. I turned loose of that seat in front of me. And I stepped over all my friends and I came down front and I said, look, Mr. Davis, I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. And as a 14-year-old boy, I knelt down on that day, prayed and received Christ as my Savior, and thanks be unto God, I was born again. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been born again? I can remember going to Uganda, Africa. And in Uganda, Africa, the way you begin to talk about Jesus is you ask them that question. You've been born again? If you're from the South, you say borned. You've been born again? You've been born again? And those individuals say, oh, yes, yes, I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have been born again. Brothers and sisters, the Bible teaches very clearly that you must be born again in order to to go to heaven when you die. And you are born again when you receive the Holy Spirit of God at conversion. I want you to notice in the text, in John chapter 3, verse 5, when he uses the term born there in that text, it is the term where where we get the, the word regeneration. To be generated again. And it deals with this aspect of being born a second time. And it carries the idea of an instantaneous action that occurs immediately at conversion. So how how do you get that from that word? This word is in the aorist tense. And the aorist tense gives us the insight that we need to express an event rather than a process. So when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, at that very moment, at the event of your being born again, At that event, March 22nd, 1988, for myself. For you, you may not remember the exact date, but you remember when you received Christ as Savior. At that event, the Holy Spirit was given to you instantaneously. Number two. The second thing we find in this uh, text when the question is asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, is that they were also indwelt by the Spirit. Not only were they born again, but they also had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Paul had to deal with this with the church at Corinth. And by the way, just think about this parenthetically. Paul, now that he's in Ephesus, he's going to spend some time there. And while he's in Ephesus, he's going to write 1 Corinthians. Remember who's in, who's in Corinth. Apollos is in Corinth. And Apollos is seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior, and he's baptizing them, and he's baptizing them not with the baptism of John, because he struggled with the same thing. But he's baptizing them because they're putting their faith in Jesus Christ. But, but they're still, the Corinthians are still a little bit confused concerning this, and so 
Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says that when you got saved at that instantaneous event, when the Holy Spirit uh, came upon you and you were born again, He also took up residence inside of you. Listen to what he says. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So remember, talking about the possession of God's, not you are God's, but the possession of God's. You are the possession of God. So Paul is contrasting the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think about this contextually, because it's very important to what Paul is asking these uh, certain disciples in the book of Acts. Remember, in Corinth, there was the temple of Aphrodite. And they said Aphrodite dwelt in that temple. Paul comes along in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and says, when you got saved, the temple is not like the temple of Aphrodite. It's not like the temple or the synagogue that the Jews meet in. The temple of the Holy Spirit is your body. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, when he asks this question to these believers, he's thinking about that. He's going to be writing the church at Ephesus on this very thing. And so he questions them. He says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we like to say, well, you know what? Uh, this is God's house. This is God's house. And we all know what that means. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, the Spirit of God's there. The presence of the Lord is here with us today. But make no mistake, dear brother and sister in Christ, God doesn't have an apartment upstairs in this building. God has taken up residence in His temple. And as a born-again child of God, when you receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, He resides inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a third thing very quickly that Paul is referring to in regards to this issue of this first question he asked. Number three, they were baptized by the Spirit. When he asked them the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In essence, he was asking them, I want to see the evidence in your life that you were born of the Spirit of God, you were indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and you were baptized by the Spirit of God. Again, Paul dealt with this when he wrote to the church at Corinth in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Listen to what he said. He said this, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been, men, been made to drink into one Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptized us into the body of Christ at one point. He, it was the point at which each and every individual became, uh, became a Christian. You were baptized into the church, baptized into the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a very interesting word. The term baptized here is in the passive voice, which means the subject is receiving the action. He's not producing the action. And so we find it's also in the passive voice 
The passive voice, excuse me, the passive voice indicates that the Holy Spirit caused our baptism. It is not something we did or something that we do. The word baptized is in the indicative mood, which means it is a statement of fact. It's not potential. So what Paul is saying is when he says, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, again, at the moment of conversion, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was not a second blessing that came upon you. It was something that you, uh, something that the Spirit of God, He did inside of you at the moment of your salvation. And so in regards to being baptized in the Spirit, it's not some second blessing. Now you think about just a minute. We've got uh, religions out there today that say, in order for you to have a closer walk with God, then not only do you pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, but then you're also baptized, and then there is this second work of the Holy Spirit that happens at some later point in your life. I want you to notice that's not what Paul said. That's not what he did. He did not ask a progression of questions from that perspective. He said, when you believed, he took them all the way back to the believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And that belief system was not knowledge, it was faith. He says, when you had faith in Jesus, were you born of the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, baptized by the Spirit? And last of all, he said, were you sealed by the Spirit? Again, look at what the Scripture says. He asked them the question, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? When you believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah, you should have been born again, indwelt by the Spirit of God, baptized in the Spirit of God, and sealed by the Spirit of God. Paul dealt with this with the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 13. Listen to what he said. Paul said this. He said, in him, that's Christ, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Again, we find this term sealed is also in the aorist tense. Remember, aorist tense does not mean potential. It means event. It means something that was completed. A completed past action. In the passive voice, it signifies that the subject, that is believers, are acted upon by an outside source being God. God acted upon you and I in such a way that He put His seal upon us as a true, born-again Christian. So when Paul asked this question, When you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit of God? He was asking them, has there been a change in your life? And that change comes about through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. These four things happen when you trust Christ as your Savior, and they are never repeated again. So they're all performed by the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God, and they're not related to some extraordinary second blessing that comes about. It all happens at the same time when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. There is a change that comes upon you. This is the first question that Paul asks. 
And they said, we've never even heard the Holy Spirit. And then he asked them a second question, a follow-up question. He says to them, question number two, into what then were you baptized? And they answered and said, into John's baptism. John's baptism is a reference to John the Baptist. Now remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And there were three basic things that John the Baptist preached. Number one, the first one is that before God, forgiveness of sins is possible only on the basis of repentance. Repent, John the Baptist said. Repent, ye brood of vipers, he would testify. Number two, there's a second thing John the Baptist preached. And that was John had the people express their repentance in a baptism, which was the symbolic act of cleansing. So he says, if you are really going to be forgiven of your sins before God, you must be baptized. You must repent, and that repentance is viewed in the form of baptism. And he would baptize them. Number three. Third, he was, uh, it was an act, uh, or it was an announcement that there was coming one who would complete the work that he had begun. Remember, John the Baptist said, There's one coming after me whom sandals that I cannot even loosen. So Paul knew John's disciples, if they were truly John the Baptist's disciples, then surely they would have been uh, thinking about the Spirit, especially with the teaching of the coming Messiah. Luke chapter 30, verse 16, listen to what John the Baptist said himself. John answered and said to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whom shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with So for clarification, notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized you with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. He said, you're right, John the Baptist did preach that you should be baptized. But John was anticipating, if you would, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so they seemed to understand the concept of sin and repentance. Here's the problem. They were putting their faith and trust in repentance and not in Jesus Christ. Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. When you got saved, what did you put your faith in? Did you put your faith in in the effort that you were going to try your best in in your act of repentance that you were going to live before God a holy and righteous life? If that be the case, you did not put your trust in Jesus Christ the Messiah. You put your trust in your repentance. Here was what was happening here to these individuals. They were putting their trust in their repentance and not upon Jesus Christ. And Paul simply says, to clarify, he says, Yeah, you were baptized with repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on Him who would come after Him, and that's Jesus Christ. You cannot put your faith in your repentance and be right with God. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ in order to be right with God. 
And that faith is communicated by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. So, well, do you, do you repent? Of course you repent. You repent, but your faith is not in repentance. Your faith is what he did on the cross. Your faith is placed upon what Jesus Christ did at Calvary's cross. MacArthur, John MacArthur wrote this about this text. He said, oh, Paul asked the right questions. He did, not, he did not ask, did you, after believing, realize that you must press on into a second level? He didn't say that. He didn't say, uh, didn't say, don't you know how to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He didn't say that. He didn't say, let go, of the, let go and go to the second level. No, that's not what he said. He said, let's go back to the first level. He didn't say we must go to higher things. He said let's go back to the basics. And the basics is you don't know Jesus. Their salvation was placed upon repentance and not faith in Jesus Christ the Messiah. And John the Baptist simply said, He is coming. Paul steps in between those believers, those certain disciples that are following after John's baptism... And simply says this, you must believe that Jesus is the Messiah to be truly repentant. And notice what the Bible says, the second thing we see here in this text in verses 5 through 7. Point number 2, the second thing we see is the application of three verses. There's an application here in verse 5, 6, and 7 that follows this very brief message that Paul preaches to these certain disciples. Number one, the first thing we see here is that faith comes by hearing. Notice what the Bible says in verse number five. The Bible says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now there's a lot here in this text. The one that I want to show you is, first of all, the reception of the Word of God. The Bible says, when they heard this. Now this is in italics. It's an apply, applied word that simply says, when they heard Paul talk about Jesus, who came after John the Baptist, whom John the Baptist proclaimed was the Messiah, we see here that when they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. You see the word Lord is capitalized, or the capital L, capital L-O-R-D, Lord Jesus. That is a reference to the fact of who is in control of their life from this point forward. They stopped putting their trust in their repentance, and they began to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognized Him as being preeminent in all the world, and that His death, burial, and resurrection was historically true, but also spiritually facts. And they received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. They heard the gospel message about the person of Jesus Christ and the absolute necessity to have faith in Jesus. And they recognized His Lordship. We see, first of all, faith comes by hearing. Number two, the second thing you see here is that biblical baptism immediately follows faith. The Bible tells us here again in the text, in verse number 5, the Bible says, And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name 
of the Lord Jesus. When they heard that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and when they made Him Lord over their life, they said, we want to be baptized the right way. This is the first time we see in a passage of Scripture what has been called and identified as rebaptism. They were baptized again. But this time their baptism was placed in order. David, before, they were sincere when they were baptized, but they weren't saved. And the second time when they received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord and recognized that their faith was in their repentance and not in the Redeemer, when they put their faith in the Redeemer, they say, we want to get our baptism in order. We want, we want to be baptized. And we see this happen, and we'll see it happen again in the book of Acts. But we find here in the text that these individuals, when they receive Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, immediately the Holy Spirit indwelt them. And as the Holy Spirit indwelt them, they were born again. They were baptized in the Spirit of God. They were sealed by the Spirit of God. They weren't going anywhere. And they said, we want to identify with Jesus Christ the Messiah, not with John the Baptist. We want to identify with Jesus. And they were baptized, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And then the third thing. The third thing you see here is that the Holy Spirit is received in conjunction with faith. Look at verse number 6. The Bible tells us here in the text, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now you've got to remember where we're at contextually. I've said this in the past. I'll make sure I say it again. I said it when we were going through the book of Corinthians, and it's true. We are in what's called the intertestimonial period. We do not have the completed Word of God. It's not finished. And so God needed to do a work in the lives of the disciples and the apostles in such a way, in such an aspect, that there was not this second blessing experience, but was evidence to those that were out there that the Messiah has done a work in the lives of, of, of man, and that is symbolic. It symbolizes, if you would, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of the Christian church. As a matter of fact, when you see this past scripture, you see that it's right in line with the continued work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians during this season before the Word of God is complete. This small group of believers identified with the apostles and accepted the genuine believers in the body of Christ and he speaks to them in such unity of body he is not trying to imply that we need some kind of special service some kind of special laying a hand service no, it was just a work of God that he had done previously in the book of Acts he's continuing to do to prove to the world Jesus Christ is the Messiah and then we see that in conjunction with that same, number four, the last one is, and that's the gift of tongues is continued, as a continuance here throughout the book of Acts. It's a continuance of the acts of the Holy Spirit. So what do you mean by that? Look at verse number six on the latter part. He says, and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Remember this. We learned in Acts chapter 2 that speaking in tongues involved known foreign languages. And the reason why this is important 
is because, again, Paul is going to sit down, he's going to write to the church at Corinth, and he's going to explain to the church that there's coming a season when this is going to stop. It's going to stop, and prophesying is going to stop. But during this season, when the Word of God is being, worked, being written and completed, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to the disciples, He's speaking to Paul, and they're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, there has to be these special signs that are giving testimony to the fact that these are born-again children of God. And so in looking at that and seeing that, we see... God is continuing to do throughout the book of Acts what he started. Watch this. This is amazing. In Acts chapter 2, we see Pentecost. They did it at Pentecost. They spoke in tongues of fire, and, and they prophesied. There was this known language. People were hearing their own language that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Again, it happens in, in chapter 8. This time, not just with the Jews, but with the Samaritans. The Samaritans get saved. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Jews, not only are you able to be saved and God work inside of you through the Holy Spirit, but now the Samaritans have now been brought into the fold, into the church. And it happens again in chapter 10. This time it's the Gentiles that are coming to Jesus. And he says, Jews, not, not only are those dogs, the Samaritans are, are coming into the fold, but now the, the, the barbarians are coming in. The Gentiles are going to come in and they begin to prophesy and they begin to speak in tongues. And we see God do an amazing work in them. And now in Acts chapter 19, we find that God uses the disciples of John the Baptist to say they weren't really truly saved, they were counterfeit in their religion. And yet now we're bringing them in to testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you see four accounts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19, where this special gift of tongues and prophesying is given to this season so that people could testify to the goodness of God. I want you to notice that it always points back to God. It never points to self. So when you think about this, you can't help but ask the question in conclusion, does, does this mean that tongues should continue today by the laying on of hands? No. You've got to take this verse in its context like we were doing. Uh, for that's exactly what Corinthi the Corinthians were doing, and Paul again had to correct them in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember, when we think about 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. And it is. It talks a lot about love. But you've got to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though it's talking about love, is corrective in its nature. It is not, it's not a proponent, if you would, of speaking in tongues in the church. It is correcting what they were doing wrong. And he says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, he says this, Charity, that's love, love never fails. But where there's prophecy, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they shall cease. Where there's knowledge, it shall vanish away. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth and warning the church at Acts to understand this same thing, the greatest thing that you possess as a Christian is not tongues, is not prophecy, 
Is not knowledge the greatest thing you possess is love. And that can only come from the Holy Spirit that is born inside of you, dwells inside of you, you have been baptized by, and that you were sealed by the Spirit of God. When these certain disciples of John the Baptist understood this, they said, I got this thing all, all wrong. All I've got is a religion. I followed after a man by the name of John the Baptist. And Paul simply stood before them and said, Guys, don't follow after a man. Follow after the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so in relationship, to the identifying mark of a biblical Christian. That mark is the Holy Spirit inside of you. These disciples were called certain disciples because they did not possess the Holy Spirit. Could I ask you a question, brother, sister, friend, guest? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven when you died? If you say, I think so, or if you say, I hope so, or if you say, maybe, that's just like saying, I do not know, no. Because a true believer in Jesus Christ a true believer has the identifying mark of the Spirit inside of him. And as that mark, the Holy Spirit, has caused you to be born again at the event of your conversion, then came and resided and rested inside of you at the moment of your conversion. At the moment of your conversion, you were baptized, buried in the likeness of his death, Raised in the likeness of His resurrection by the Holy Spirit. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins have all been erased through the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then number four, then you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God put His mark upon you that you belong to Jesus. So that, watch this, let's close if you have your Bibles. 1 John Chapter number 5, verse number 13. The scripture says, 1 John 5, 13. John, writing to the church. He's in his 80s. And look at what he says in verse 13. He says, these things I have written to you. What things? The things that he wrote in the gospel of John the things that he wrote in 1 John, the things that he's going to write in 2 John and 3 John. These things I have written to you, specifically, who believe in the name of the Son of God. The term believe there is an act of faith, not knowledge. He says this, if you have put your faith in the name of the Son of God, which we know is Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
That is, you know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You would have eternal life, life everlasting with God. And then watch what it does. And that you may continue to believe, that is again by faith, in the name of the Son of God. So I ask again, dear friend, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? If it's anything other than yes, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. I ask you to please, this morning, get that right with God. Recognize that you've put your faith in your repentance. Just like these disciples of John did. And just like these disciples of John, I challenge you to get right with God. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And by faith, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you'd like to do that today. Whether you're driving, listening to this podcast, watching online, or here in the service presently. If you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, and put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says, Paul writing to the Romans, that if you will confess with your mouth, and if you will believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We know that the thief on the cross simply said, I believe. Today, dear friend, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, would you say something like this to Him this morning? Heavenly Father, I believe you are the Messiah. I turn from my sin today and I put my faith in you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia. 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.